All right, good morning once again. It's great to see you here at Hope and Anchor Church. I really appreciate uh, your willingness to gather uh, in worship. I know right now there's a lot of, uh, lot of uh, messaging about caution and, and, and care, and we want to definitely respect that. We want to make sure that you feel safe when you gather uh, from coronavirus and things like that. Uh, but that being the case, there's a lot of people from our fellowship that uh, aren't here. And uh, I would encourage you, as part of just that, our, our church family staying connected, to really find ways to reach out, check in, uh, touch base with each other, because, uh, you know, this can be a pretty lonely time. And some people are living day-to-day -day in situations that are pretty lonely already, and this just makes it worse. And so uh, I think if each of us set a goal that each week I'm going to reach out to two people that I know from Hope and Anchor or I know from the family of faith, that I'm just going to touch base and say, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you this week? Um, like that. I mean, easy, easy stuff, but it makes more of a difference than I think you realize sometimes. Because you've been the recipient of that before, haven't you? You've been the beneficiary of someone thinking of you, reaching out, just randomly sending you a text or whatever. That can really make your day. It doesn't take very much. But um, anyway, I'd encourage you this week to reach out to those as you look around that you realize aren't here, haven't been here, maybe you're a uh, uh, struggling with COVID, or they're just uh, really nervous about COVID, um, reach out this week. I would ask you to do that. Hey, we're going to continue in our teaching series called Law and Prophets. Uh, this week is week 11 in that teaching series. This is a teaching series, a learning adventure through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is called Everyone Prays. Everyone Prays. Uh, as some of you may know, uh, until very recently, I worked uh, on an ambulance. I worked uh, PRN as an emergency medical technician or an EMT on an ambulance. And uh, do you guys know what PRN means? It's a Latin phrase that I don't know, but it actually means as needed, as needed. Uh, so what that means is for the past six years or so, about once a week or so, I would pick up a shift working on an ambulance crew for Citizens Memorial Hospital up in Bolivar. Um, as an EMT, and I was also working toward my paramedic license, uh, I got to help sick people. I got to help hurting people uh, in times of need, uh, sometimes in very challenging situations. I enjoyed being involved in emergency medicine. I, I enjoyed learning how the body functions. Uh, I, I enjoyed knowing what I could do to help alleviate pain and to help sustain life. It's pretty rewarding when you can come and help someone feel better, uh, when you can help reduce pain, or you can actually save a life. There were also there were some really exciting times working on the ambulance. There were actually those times that people imagine you have working on an ambulance, but they were rare. Most of the time it's spent sitting around waiting, waiting or responding to calls that really shouldn't be uh, sent to an ambulance. Believe it or not, people call the ambulance when they shouldn't call the ambulance. But that's a lot of your time spent. So there were some really exciting times on the ambulance, and there were some, a lot of uh, intensely boring times, and intensely tedious and frustrating times, too. There were things I really liked about working in emergency medicine, uh, but there were some things I didn't like one bit. One of those things I want to tell you about, and this probably isn't what you imagined. Most of you are thinking poop, but it's not. The best part about working on the ambulance, this isn't in my notes, but uh, if people had an accident on the ambulance, you just told the emergency room about it. And it was great. You just delivered the patient. Like, they need to be cleaned up. It was great. And you didn't have to deal with it on the ambulance. That was the best part. The worst part, though, was uh, talking on the radio. 
Believe it or not, talking on the walkie-talkie was the worst part for me. I hated that part. Uh, one of the most intimidating parts of working in, in EMS, especially at first, was talking on the radio. Talking to dispatch or talking to the emergency room giving a patient report. It made me so nervous. Did anyone else imagine that that would be the case for you? I mean, talking on the radio so other people can hear you. Interacting with a person on the other end of radio communication, it always made me nervous. What do I say? What if I mess up? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I broadcast my error, my stupidity, to the entire listening world? What if I do that? See, the problem is, you don't just dial one person up on the radio and talk to them. You key up the radio and everybody within the listening, the broadcast radius, hears what you have to say. So when talking to dispatch over the radio, everyone can hear it. Everyone can hear it. So if you make a fool out of yourself, guess what? Everybody knows you made a fool of yourself. Everyone in the, no in the network, uh, they're going to know. Likewise, when, when uh, you radio into the emergency room to give a patient report, because you're arriving, you're, you're, within, you're getting close to the emergency room, you're supposed to call in on the radio and tell them what you're bringing them. They want to know so that the emergency room staff can be prepared for the patient you're bringing them. So uh, you radio into the emergency room with a patient report. Uh, you're talking to a highly trained, experienced nurse and that highly trained, experienced nurse is going to ask you probing questions. They're going to ask you very specific questions about your patient. What if you're ill-prepared? What if you just don't know uh, the answer to the question they're asking? Can you sense the, 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 the tension there? It, it made me really nervous and I did whatever I could <laughs> to avoid calling in patient reports. I did what I could to not talk on the radio. I minimized it as much as possible because it just made me real uneasy, real nervous. I guess the reason why is this. Why did I not like talking on the radio? Why did I not like, not like talking on the CB, on the walkie-talkie? I think it's this. I don't like looking like or sounding like a fool. I think that's really, at the root level, I just don't like being a fool. I don't like looking like a fool, sounding like a fool. I don't like feeling unprepared or ill-equipped to do what I'm called to do. And it turns out, it's not just about talking on the radio. For me, there's other areas of my life in which I don't like feeling like a fool either. And I think that's probably the case for you because maybe you've never talked on a walkie-talkie to the listening world. But you've been in situations where you're like, oh man, please don't mess this up. Please don't look like a fool in front of everyone. This uneasiness, this intimidation that I have about talking on the ambulance radio, it creeps into more than just radio communication. It has to do with more than just ambulances. I think this intimidation, this fear, this uneasiness, it can creep into my prayer life as well. I can feel kind of that same thing when I'm approaching God in prayer. I can feel that same nervousness, that, that, that unease sometimes. I can feel very nervous about reaching out in prayer, feel anxious about opening my mouth and opening my heart to the one who made me, worrying about the same kinds of things. What if I mess up? What if I say the wrong thing? I'm talking to God, 
the, the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. I, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I mess this up? Why do I feel this way? Why do you feel this way? Well, maybe it's because even in that space, in my interaction, my, my conversation with God, maybe, I, uh, maybe I'm, I'm unsure of where I stand. Maybe at the end of it all, I'm just not sure where I stand or not sure of what to say or what to do. I feel like I'm on stage or I feel like I'm in the spotlight and it's just like, ah, get me out of here. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's inconsistency. Or maybe it's a sense of shame. Or maybe it's a skewed perspective that's been kind of deformed in us through our, 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 our religious upbringing, our church experience. Sometimes we've heard and we've been uh, impressed upon, had some weird things impressed upon us about what prayer is or what prayer is for or what prayer does. So we end up with this, this skewed perspective sometimes. But whatever it is, whatever it is we're feeling when we go to God in prayer, it can make us feel out of place. It can, in that space, that prayer space, that, that place before God in prayer, we can actually end up feeling out of place. And what a tragedy. Isn't that a tragedy? That that place where we can talk to our maker, the, 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 our creator and our sustainer, the author, the finisher of our faith, that, that in that place we feel like a misfit. We feel like we do not belong in that place of prayer. I don't know who else feels this way. But I would wager some of you do. If we had a show of hands, I asked, who here feels like a klutz when it comes to prayer sometimes? Would you raise your hand? I mean, all right, me and right. Yeah, sometimes you just feel like you're all thumbs. You don't know, I'm a klutz. I'm a clown when it comes in, into being with God and talking to Him. Why is it that prayer is so hard for us sometimes? Why is it that prayer is so hard for us? Why is it so scary to turn and to talk to our Father in heaven? How do we respond then to that difficulty we feel? What do we do when we feel that difficulty? What do we, how do we respond when we feel that anxiety about praying, about talking to God? Well, we respond in different ways, and that's what I want to talk about today. But here's the cool thing, and I want to, I want to start here. I want to plant our pivot foot here. That's a basketball reference, but that's all I got. Pivot foot. Uh, I want to start here. Thankfully, like so many other things that Jesus talked about during the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about prayer, get this, Jesus seems to understand us. In this, Jesus knows how we are. He seems to once again understand his audience. He knows intimately, intimately with whom he's speaking. When Jesus, if you imagine him on that hillside in Matthew, looks around on the hillside and sees these people, makes eye contact, he knows them. He knows what it's like to be them and what they're struggling with. And this is why he felt it was important to address, hey, when you pray, when you pray, Jesus understands that we as human beings, we have a capacity to take the very simple act of talking to our Maker, talking to our Creator, and turning it into a very complicated and scary thing. I think uh, Jesus just wants to say to all His listening audience, like, hey, let's just bring it down a notch. Let's simplify this thing. You're making this into something more complicated and more difficult and scary than it really needs to be. So, 
there it is. Some of us shy away from prayer due to fear and a sense of unfamiliarity. But did you know that other religious people, they plunge right into prayer and turn it into something else? They turn it not into this scary, anxiety-ridden thing. They plunge right in and turn it into a sideshow. They jump into prayer and make it their little stick and want to show off when they're praying. They want to demonstrate, turn prayer into a demonstration of spiritual pride for others to see. Maybe you've known someone in your Christian life that was really good at prayer and they wanted you to know it. They were really awesome at doing the spiritual activities of the Christian life and they wanted you to know all about it and look to them to learn how to do it as well. While some of us feel shame in our ability to pray, others of us feel pride. We feel pride in our, in our awesome and admirable prayer skills. I mean, maybe there's been a time in your life where it's like, yeah, I got mad skills. I got mad prayer skills. I'm pretty awesome at prayer. Check me out. Watch me work. You know, it's like we, we can turn prayer into this thing of a source of pride as well. So here comes Jesus. Thank the Lord. Here comes Jesus loving us enough to call us out. That's what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount a lot of, in a lot of aspects. He's calling us out. He's saying, hey, stop. Stop and listen here. There's something going on that you have to be aware of. You need to be aware of this. He calls us out because He loves us. He encourages those who are mired in fear and shame, and He corrects those who are mired in pride and error. Understand, this is what Jesus is doing. He's calling us all out, and He's addressing us at the point of our need in this area of prayer. He's saying, hey, I want to encourage those who are mired in shame and in, in fear, and I want to correct those who are mired in pride and error. So, let's sit with Jesus today. Let's revisit Jesus today on that hillside in Matthew. Let's sit with the crowd as we hear Jesus guide all of us into a life-giving practice of prayer. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, and let's look at verses 5 through 8. Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers will be answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Even before you ask Him, God knows what you need. He knows what you need. So, I think there's some important things that we must notice here in what Jesus shares with His listening audience. The first thing we should notice here is that Jesus assumes we will pray. He assumes he's, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And how do we know that? Because Jesus, he doesn't say, if you choose to pray. What does he say? He says, when you pray. Something about you being a, a, a human means that there are going to be times when you are praying. So when you pray, we are prayerful creatures. We are praying beings. There is something natural and instinctive about prayer in us 
as created beings. Something about us, like a magnetic pull of the needle, draws us to prayer at certain times in certain circumstances. As Eugene Peterson explains, he says, everyone prays, kind of. Some people are praying and they don't know they're praying, basically. Everyone prays, kind of. It's our most human action. At the deep center of our lives, we are connected somehow or another with God. But that deep center often gets buried under the everyday debris of routine and distraction and chatter while we shuffle about out of touch and unaware of our true selves. Then a sudden jolt opens a crevasse, exposing for a moment our bedrock self and spontaneously we pray. We pray because it is our most human response. We are made by and for the voice of God. Listening to and answering that voice is our most characteristic act. We are most ourselves when we pray. The jolt comes variously, a stab of pain, a rush of beauty, an encore of joy, and we exclaim, God! The cry can be a complaint or a curse, or a praise, no matter, it's prayer. When, when that deep, deep center of our lives is exposed, our core humanity that biblical writers so vigorously designate as the heart, we unthinkingly revert to our first language. We pray. Our first language, we pray. I love what he says here. We are made by and for the voice of God. Listening to and answering that voice is our most characteristic act. We are most ourselves when we pray. Now, sometimes when I'm teaching, I have to kind of just speak in generalities. And, and in this situation, I can't speak for the hardened, militant, angry atheist. But I know that when hardship, when pain, when anxiety, when joy, when gratitude comes into our lives, our reflex is to pray. For most people, our reflex is to pray. Even if it is a simple, uh, even if it is simply a feeble help, or maybe it's simply a, 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 a grateful thank you. Even if it's just breathe to the universe, most people turn in those moments and they pray to something or someone. So Jesus includes all of us when he says, when you pray. He wants to get all of our attention. Hey, when you pray, and then he wants to help calibrate. He wants to correct. He wants to draw us into that heart of prayer, getting us back toward fluency in our first language, the language of prayer. Jesus says, when you pray. And then he goes on to unpack it with some do's and some don'ts. Hey, do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. Right away, Jesus gives two direct warnings about prayer. He gives two direct warnings in this passage about prayer. First, don't show off and be a hypocrite. And secondly, don't doubt. Don't babble and carry on. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't show off. And don't, don't doubt. Don't babble and carry on. Okay? First, don't, don't show off or be a hypocrite as we read in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, this is, that is all the reward they will ever get. So, there's no sense in trying to impress God or impress others with your prayers. <laughs> it's futile. There's no point in doing that. Even though you've got that inclination, it's pointless. Uh, and then verse 7, uh, 
don't doubt, babble, and carry on. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So basically thinking uh, that repetition and incantations will somehow pressure God into listening to you and giving in to your demands, it's a fool's errand. It just won't work. In fact, it's counterproductive. So in Jesus' day, as in our own day, there were people who loved to be seen and heard praying. They loved it. Uh, they loved to be regarded as being powerful in their faith and deep in their connection with God. That was kind of their calling card, the calling card of their life and of their ministry. Jesus even points out in his day that some certain people would stand on street corners praying loudly in order to be noticed and applauded by all those who heard them praying. But Jesus says to them, hey, good job. Hey, keep it up. Good job. Enjoy the applause. Enjoy the applause you get when you pray on the street corners because that's all you can expect to receive. The accolades, the notice, the, the cheers, and the, 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 the following that you may get. Enjoy it because really, that's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to receive. You can, that's all you can expect to receive from that self-aggrandizing sort of prayer. When your prayers are really pointed at you and at your reputation and you're, you're uh, standing among others. You know, a person might think that they're the Hugh Jackman of prayer or the Lady Gaga of intercession. I've had to go through my list of like cultural icons. It used to be Burt Reynolds, but that's a little passe now. Um, then I went to Matthew McConaughey, but he's getting a little, I don't know. I, I had to really do some research on what would really connect with my younger listeners. So they work. You may think you're the Hugh Jackman of prayer or the Lady Gaga of intercession. I see it working. I see those tears. Um, but the thing is, God is not impressed. You may come high-stepping over life's problems and saying it's all because of my awesome prayer life, but guess what? God's not impressed. God's not impressed. Hey, that notice you get, the, the regard you get from others, man, enjoy it because that's all you're getting. God is not impressed. Now, it's easy in this teaching, this particular teaching of Jesus, because most of us don't feel like we're prideful jerks. We don't feel like, oh, I'm a Pharisee, or I'm, I'm ate up with pride in my, my, my prayer life. Because most of us don't feel like that's us, it's easy for us to pile on those people. Like, yeah, who would stand on the street corner? I'm not a hypocritical prayer type. Uh, so, because we assume there's no pride here, we find that it's easy to dunk on those kind of people that Jesus is talking about. But before we get too confident, I would say put a pin in that because I think Jesus wants to speak to that in all of us because oftentimes there's a flip side to pride that's still pride, but it manifests itself in a different way. Jesus hits a little bit closer to home when he speaks of those who rely on repetitious, unthinking prayers. He hits a little closer to home when he talks about those who believe that babbling, long prayers are the key to gaining access to God's ears. The pagans, they believed uh, that multiplying words and, and, and saying just the right things would unlock the God's favor. That if we just got this right, it unlocks, these words are the key that unlock the power of the gods. They believed that if you did it right, you had unlimited power. That There were certain formulas of prayer. There were incantations that were required. And it's not just pagans. 
I find that in the Christian world too, in the church. I find that people revert to this kind of pagan thinking. Uh, we love formulas. We love trinkets. We love talismans. We love codes that unlock the secrets of the universe. We love uh, knowing a way to, uh, to guarantee access to power, to health, to influence, to wealth. We want to know that there's a secret key, a code, uh, a way of doing it that basically puts God in our debt. And he's like, well, you did it. You did the secret thing. I must do it now. I am honor bound to answer your prayer because you did the right thing. You did it in the right way. This incantation is unavoidable. So we end up relying on the how of prayer instead of on the to whom of prayer. We end up relying on how we pray more than we rely on the one to whom we pray. And I think that's what Jesus wants to center us in and say, hey, rest in this. Rest in this. It's about who you're praying to. It's not how you pray. It's not the loud, verbose, awesome prayer on the corner. It's not the repetitious, babbling prayer of just rocking back and forth, saying this incantation over and over to God. It's just resting honestly in the presence of God. It's the one you're praying to that matters. What I believe Jesus wants most for us to sit what I believe Jesus wants most for us here is to set his listeners free. He wants to set us free from all these trappings of religion. We all, we all have this religious muscle memory that creeps in over and over again into our walk with Jesus and it starts to bind up and disfigure our interaction with him, our relationship with him. And Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus wants to invite us uh, into the very real presence of God. And Jesus isn't calling us into something uh, less than. He's calling us into something far more than. Into the very presence of the living God. To encourage us to enjoy and keep company with God. And to feel, home in that, feel at home in that space. Have you ever felt at home with God? I mean, really, Philip Yancey, I love how he talks about that. It's like prayer is keeping company with God. Do you ever feel like God is just a constant companion with you throughout the day and that you're at home with Him and that you can turn at any time for any reason and just say, God, thank you. God, I need guidance on this. I don't know what to do. I mean, we can feel comfortable enough to be weak, to be confused, to be vulnerable, and to be open and honest, and to be glad to feel at home with God. In that welcoming place, it's then okay to pray for a long time. It's okay to just share your running thoughts with God. It's okay to make long, heartfelt prayers. It's okay to plead with God, just like that persistent widow we read about in Luke chapter 18. Sometimes people think that we can't pray long prayers because of what Jesus teaches here, long, babbling, repetitious prayers. But then we find stories like the persistent widow that comes and just bugs and bugs and brings it before the king over and over and over again. And Jesus is like, man, be like the widow. Hammer that nail. Be persistent in bringing your heartfelt, genuine prayers to God. So clearly there's, a, there's an error to be made in this. You don't have to keep your prayers to a certain word count. This isn't college. I mean, bring it and make sure it's honest. Be honest and transparent before God. There's a world of difference between a babbling, repetitious prayer and the honest prayer of desperation. Would you believe me in that? 
There's a big, big difference between relying on how you're praying to get God to do what you want or to answer your prayer. There's a big difference between that and the honest prayer of desperation. Those long hours spent pleading with God. Maybe you found yourself in that place where you just can't sleep, you can't eat, you're just laying before the Lord, pleading with Him over and over and over again. There's a big difference here, guys. I think what Jesus wants us to know is this. Make your prayers honest. Make your prayers honest. Uh, make your prayers in private. Be real. Be genuine. Be vulnerable. And know this. Know this. Rest all of your hopes and aspirations and desires in this. God is good. God is good. God loves you. This is who we're approaching in prayer. One who is good and one who is inclined towards you. He loves you. He knows what you need even before you pray about it, even before you ask Him, even before those words leave your mouth. God knows. He knows every fiber of your being. You know, and that raises the question, well, why pray? Well, I think oftentimes it's that prayer places us in the right place, in the right attitude. It orients us rightly toward the one who can heal us, one who can set us free, one that can bring wholeness and hope into our lives. It does something in us more than it does something in God even. It orients us rightly toward Him because He knows even before we pray about it. He knows what we need even before we ask Him. So, big picture. What Jesus is doing here is He is inviting us to enjoy Prayer. Prayer is not a burden. Prayer is not a chore. Prayer is not a, an expected thing you do as a, as a Christian so much as it is something we're invited into, invited to enjoy. Something that uh, he, Jesus wants to work within to calm our fears as we approach God. We approach God. He wants to free us from the burden of formulaic or what Peterson calls presumptuous prayer. He wants us to be free from presumptuous prayer. Now, what do I mean by presumptuous prayer? Well, Peterson, Eugene Peterson, he helps us here. He says, presumptuous prayer speaks to God without first listening to Him. Have you ever been guilty of presumptuous prayer? You just barge in like Kramer, like, hey, God, I want to do this. You know, and he's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> slow your roll there, brother. Presumptuous prayer speaks to God without first listening to Him. Presumptuous prayer obsessively, anxiously, or pretentiously multiplies human words to God without at best, or with at best, a distracted, indifferent, or fitful interest in God's words to us. But God speaks to us before we even speak to Him. If we pray without listening, we pray out of context. If we pray without first listening, we pray out of context. What, what's Peterson saying here is like, listening is the appropriate context for our prayers. And I, and I know that sometimes I want to barge in, I want to start talking, and I haven't disciplined myself to just sit quietly and listen. If God has actually spoken to us before we even speak to Him, how can we hear His voice? Well, I'd say it's a couple of things, or maybe three, I don't know. Scripture. Spend time, be familiar enough with Scripture that we know what God has already said to us. I mean, that's, that's foundational right there. But then, there's also that intentional practice of sitting quietly and like Samuel before the Lord saying, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I desire to hear what you say. 
So in that prayer time, and then I'd also say thirdly, uh, listening to seeking counsel from other godly people in your life. Go to others who you know are following hard after Jesus and say, hey, here's what I desire from God. I desire to know God's will in this area of my life or in this situation. I need his help. Will you pray with me? And seeking counsel, seeking uh, someone who will labor with you in prayer. So I'd say scripture, prayer, and then godly fellow travelers. We can go to these places and that will help us stop long enough to listen to what God might have already said to us or be saying to us in that prayer situation. Jesus is inviting us to pray in context. Pray in the context of listening. He wants us to understand who God is. He wants us to understand who we are. And He wants us to approach Him with a listening and thus receptive heart. A receptive listening heart. He wants us to feel at home with God. Jesus deeply desires for you to be comfortable around your Maker. You take that in. Jesus wants you as a core takeaway from his teachings. I want you to feel at home with God. I want you to be comfortable around your maker. I don't want you to be nervous. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be proud. And I don't want you to be presumptuous in your prayers. I want you to feel at home. And I want you to feel safe and comfortable with God. And when you do pray, Jesus then invites us to go confidently into his presence. And how can we go into God's presence in prayer confidently? Well, Jesus tells us, know that God loves you. You can go confidently into His presence knowing that God is good, God loves you, He hears you, and He knows. He knows what you truly, truly need. Man, we spend a lot of time in prayer, honest, heartfelt prayer, asking God for the wrong things. Asking, asking for things that in His, His infinite, perfect wisdom, He knows we don't really need. In fact, that good thing we want would actually end up being a bad thing. I'm thankful that God knows what we truly need even before, even if we ask at all. He knows. He knows what we need. We don't have to get God's attention. We don't have to twist God's arm. We don't have to impress Him. You don't have to get God's attention. You don't have to twist God's arm. You don't have to impress Him. Taking it a step further, Jesus just doesn't talk about how not to pray. He says, and when you do pray, pray like this. Jesus goes on to show us how to pray. And then at the end of this passage, he actually invites us to pray. And it's a prayer that we pray every Sunday when we gather for worship. And I want to pray that today as a closing meditation uh, to this lesson. Okay, so if you would, just close your eyes and listen to the words of Jesus as we read this passage again as our closing meditation. And I'll have the, I'll have the uh, worship team come back up now. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. Pray like this. 
Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Father, hear our prayers today in Jesus' name. Or maybe this is the first time in a long time that we've uh, felt that invitation to come close and to not be presumptuous. We felt the invitation to come close with no expectations of us getting it right or saying all the right words, but that we can come into your presence and find it a place of rest and of welcome, uh, of holy knowing, that you know us, you know what we need. And we find this place of where you desire good things for us because you love us. Lord, I pray that each person here would bring themselves honestly into a place of prayer with you, sitting before you, acknowledging the deformities in their prayer expectations, the ways that uh, their prayer life has been uh, stunted or, or um, I don't know, misshapen because of our experiences or our expectations. God, we read Jesus' words and we, we, we know we're probably not standing on street corners praying real loud for public accolades. And, but God, a lot of us do feel ashamed or we feel fearful when it comes to prayer. Jesus knows his audience. He knows us and he knows how we take prayer, this gift that we have, this ability to speak with you honestly and openly. He knows our tendency to turn that into this convoluted and complex and anxiety-producing thing. And so, God, that's what, <laughs> that's what we need to be delivered from, first and foremost. God, set our hearts in the fact that you're good, you love us, and that you know us. You're eager to hear us come to you. You're eager to have us listen and to bring receptive hearts to you, to seek out your will and your way, your words in our life. God, may we be disciplined followers of, followers of Jesus who are daily rooting our, our faith and our life in, in Scripture, but also in the practice of, of honest, open prayer. But then we're also looking to others, fellow travelers, faithful brothers and sisters who are pursuing Christ-likeness as well as we lean on them and as we labor together in prayer. God, do a work in our lives. May prayer become a life spring, a wellspring inside of us and in our relationship with you. That we'd have this ongoing, dynamic, life-giving sense of conversation with you. Lord, forgive us, of, forgive us for what we've turned prayer into oftentimes. How we've made prayer about other things, about ourselves. How we've not been attentive. How we've prayed out of context and been presumptuous. God, forgive us of that, we pray. Lord, hear our prayers today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to worship a bit more. And this is a chance to do just that. Imagine yourself entering into the presence of God without expectation, without all this other stuff that you've stacked up and added to your prayer life. Just sit with God and maybe just over and over say, Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Speak to me, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then ask the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand what God would say and do in your life. Make the most of this opportunity.